0: Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here as we are in our series through the book of Colossians. And one thing I just want to lay uh, before you is we released a a new podcast entitled The Rest of the Sermon, along with our Sunday podcasts. And one of the things that we want to do, I'll never forget hearing this quote. It said that good preaching should not end a conversation. It should begin a conversation. And one of the things that we want to do in that podcast is we want to hear from you. And so if you have a question about Sunday sermon or there's something in the Bible passage, hey, how does this relate to this? We've been learning this. What does this look like? We want you to shoot us an email at info at westsidepb.org. Pastor Tyler hosts that podcast. It's called The Rest of the Sermon. And we engage in conversation and want to be able to provide more content for you and also to answer any questions that you might have um, about what is going on in the series. ...because we are in the book of Colossians. And so if it's your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us. We started this last week, and we would direct you to our website uh, as sort of an introductory message of it... ...because we believe uh, that God wrote a book here at Westside. Crazy concept to think about that, but we primarily just teach through books of the Bible, and so what we say is you can't just kind of come to the Bible, rip it open, and go, um, this sounds really good. Some of you guys are like, that's how I do my Bible study. I wonder why it's been so random all the time, right? You have to know what you're learning, who it's written from, and this, that, and the other, and we discussed a lot of those things last week, so it was really, really important to learn about the theme of the book, where we're going, and why that matters. And as you can see, we've said that the theme of the book of Colossians is, it is all about Jesus. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole goal. We said last week that a clear view of Jesus Christ will change your life. And that's what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Colossians. That this Jesus that we oftentimes um, bring uh, false expectations to or place in our own little box, what the Apostle Paul does in this letter is he writes about this big Jesus and the implications of what that looks like in our life. And it shatters our expectations, shatters the little boxes that we try to put him in. And he shows us that every avenue, every area of our life, is all about Jesus. And we said, listen, that's what we need in 2021. Um, In light of everything that happened in 2020 and how 2021 started eerily similar to 2020, um, what we need with all the distractions and everything going on in the world, we just need a clear view of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, We're just going line by line, word by word, phrase by phrase to see this big Jesus and how it impacts our life. And today we're looking at the first two verses. And you might go, well, that's just kind of like uh, the greeting, kind of like the introduction. What's that really about? And, and as I was reading those first two verses this week, I, I was reminded it's going to be this coming August, seven years ago, that I had the opportunity to come here and be pastor uh, at Westside, which is the great privilege of my life. I love you guys. can't believe I get to teach the Bible for a living. And I'll never forget a meeting with the leadership for the very first time. Uh, when I got here, the church was about 25 people on a Sunday morning. And I met with the leadership in one of the back rooms back there, which is actually the cry room. And we've remodeled and done some stuff. And so Courtney and I came and, and we met the leadership and introduced ourselves uh, to them. And they asked us questions and, and we asked them questions about what are these expectations? What is this like? Do you, do you want to be a pastor? are you crazy and then you ask are you crazy because if this is crazy like are we dating now is this the thing what is this like and so you kind of have that it's like it it is a job interview but it's not a job interview and this is highly relational and all of this stuff and uh, it's it's interesting to think two um, of those people have have gone to be with the Lord who are in that room Uh, by the way they're having a great day today by the way amen right And um, whenever whenever you're doing that, you're, you're trying to lay out the expectations and go, hey, these are our expectations. What are yours? And how is this relationship going to work out? And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in these first two verses. What we learned was is that the Apostle Paul had never met these people face to face before. What we learned was in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul preaches in Ephesus and he preaches the gospel And there was somebody there by the name of Epaphras who's mentioned in this letter. And the Epaphras uh, Epaphras gets a clear view of Jesus Christ while the Apostle Paul is preaching. So he goes back to his hometown and starts a church, starts talking about Jesus and these Christians, these people come to faith, people are getting baptized. And then the Apostle Paul, um, like any good Christian, ends up in jail. You guys are the 11, okay? Goodness gracious, a joke. Golly, okay? Um, The Apostle Paul traveled around. He preached Jesus and said, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And the Roman government didn't like that, and so they arrested him. When Epaphras found out about that, he traveled to meet the Apostle Paul and said, hey, this is what's going on um, actually in the church. There's some false teaching coming in. We've got this going on in the life of our church. Can you help us with a clear view of Jesus? And so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes the letter of Colossians to those Christians. And what we see in these first two verses, when you look at it, listen, I got four points today from two verses, all right? So welcome to West Side. Glad you're here, okay? Because listen, we believe God's word is a deep well. And, and, and when you spend time and marinate and meditate on God's word, like, like we're reading through the Bible together as a church, we do it every year, and, and, and I'm growing more and more like, I'm not for like, well, I've read through and just checking the stuff. I'm blowing through the Bible reading and doing this, that, and the other. What I want to see is us meditating and living in and marinating in God's word. And when you pause and reflect on these first two verses, there's a ton of like relational language that he's using. And here's what the apostle Paul's doing. He's introducing himself to these Christians and he's establishing The relationship and here's what he's doing he's getting the expectations set from the beginning and what he says in these first two verses is hey um, everything else that's coming in the letter is going to be dependent upon this type of language that I'm using in these first two verses and when I thought about that and looked at that well this is our big idea today that your expectations affect your experience I mean that's just a true statement in life That if somebody says, oh man, you got to go try um, this restaurant, it's incredible, wow, and you go and you've already got this expectation, you're like, wow, that was awesome, that was incredible. Or if someone's like, man, have you ate here and I can't believe, and then you go and you're like, yep, I knew it, that's what that person, your expectations that you have affect your experience. And the same is true of your relationships as well. That the expectations that you have for the relationships that you enter into affect your experiences in those relationships. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That, hey, in order for us to know each other and to establish this relationship, we have to have right expectations. Which which also tells me this. Unmet expectations always lead to frustrations. And that is true in your relationships and in my relationships. That we enter into these relationships and we sort of have these expectations of how it's supposed to go. And, um, man, whenever we got married, I thought, you know, um, steak dinner every night was going to kind of be the thing, right? I mean, that was kind of like my expectation. So why are we eating Taco Bell? I'm I'm just saying, like, right, our expectations affect that. And one of the things that I'm learning a lot more is... um, well, this. Uncommunicated expectations is premeditated frustration. Or is it okay if we just start preaching right now in the beginning, okay? Um, uncommunicated expectations because, well, I, um, um, you're, um, you're just supposed to know. Hey, newsflash, look up here. Love you. Glad you're here. I'm going to offend you like three or four more times today, okay? But, but look up here. No, we don't just know, okay? We don't just know. We have to establish and have right expectations in order to have a right experience. And so what the Apostle Paul does in these few verses is he establishes right expectations for a number of relationships. And listen, every one of these relationships you experience, I mean, mean, listen, the Bible's relevant for us, guys. The Bible affects your everyday life. And so we're going to look at four relationships that we have to have right expectations about, that we have to communicate right about these things in order to experience what God would have in the rest of this letter and in the rest of our relationships. And the very first one, the most important one, um, you don't start with yourself, you don't start with other people, um, is this. Our relationship to God, which is Father, Look at what the Apostle Paul says there in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, In the New Testament, Jesus' number one description of God, Father. The Apostle Paul, Father. um, St. John, as we just read, Father. This is the shift that happens in the New Testament and what makes Christianity what it is, is understanding God as Father. Now listen, um, I know there's a ton of baggage that comes with that. Not just with the idea of Father language, because maybe some of you are out there like, um, that's supposed to be good news? Like, God is Father? Because this Father thing that I've experienced was, was, was not good news. But it's important because of this. All of us um, are theologians. Here's what I mean by this. There's, there's a ditch on either side of the road, okay? Um, some of us are like, man, we don't need to know all that. We don't need to study and read books about God. We, we, we just need to love people, Pastor. We just need to love people, man. You need to put that book down. You need to love people, okay? Well, well listen, um, you're wrong. Love you. Love you. You're wrong uh, because Jesus actually says... Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you have to have a right view of God in order to even love people. But, but then there's a ditch on the other side of the road as well because some of you are like, yeah, that's right, man. It's all about we need more Bible classes. We need to do the studying and we're in the ivory town and God. And we need the deep thing, man. The churches need to get back to the deep stuff, man. And, and listen, uh, most of you are mean, okay, right? like the study and all that, because, because our view and study of God leads us to love people. And, and actually the word theology, theos means God, ology means the study of, it means the study of God. And every one of us are theologians because we say sentences like this, and listen, a sentence like this is a dangerous sentence in the church. Well, I think God's like... And then fill in the blank. That is a theological statement. I, well, you know, I think... And listen, that's why um, a lot of us have a problem with the Gospel. Because the Gospel doesn't leave the image of God to your opinion. God has revealed Himself in His Word, but more fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, I love what one pastor by the name of A.W. Tozer said. He said these words, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That is a huge statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move towards our own mental image of God. This is true not only of individual Christians, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always, 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 the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. The most important thing about us. And there's a lot of wrong images that I think... Um, Baylor University a number of years ago asked a bunch of people about what they thought God was like what was their image of God when somebody said God what came to their mind and these are the images and we study these uh, uh, back in our axiom series this comes from gravity leadership it's it's phenomenal information but but maybe you can relate to these wrong images of God the first one the distant deity um, so this is where we say oh sure creation Oh man! Of course, there's a God. I mean, brother Jason, when I'm out on Current River on Sundays, and um, I'm out there, and I'm oh the creation, and I just and I'm in that deer stand, and I see, brother, there is a God. Amen, right? Amen. But that God isn't really involved in my life. Like, like, like I know there's a God because there's like big questions and there's a lot of this stuff, but like, but I don't really bridge the gap in the connection of that God. Affecting my day-to-day life and being involved in a relationship. That's, that's the distant deity view. And that's when um, suffering enters into our world. If you have this view of God, then, then we shake our fist and say, why aren't you? Why, why this? Or, or, or how about this image? Um, the demanding judge. Because God's got a top ten list. Right, he gave that thing to Charlton Heston up on the mountain. Right? He was like, 10 things not to do. Okay, Don't drink, custard chew, or go with girls that do. That's somewhere on the list. All right? And God is out every day to mark off that list. He's, he's watching you. Okay? So that's why when we're driving on the road and we see a hitchhiker and we drive past him, we're like, what if that was Jesus? And then I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, remember that day on 67 I was hitchhiking on the road. You didn't pick me up. Hell. And you're like, ah, right? Okay. Oh, you've had that thought too? Okay, you've thought about that too? Okay, right? And so it's constant anxiety all the time. And, and, I've got a, and um, if you have this image, um, you're, you think Christians are known for what they're against. I'm a Christian because I'm against X, Y, and Z because God's against X, Y, and Z. And if God's fired up about that, I'm fired up about that. And... Um, Never secure in your relationship, filled with anxiety, wondering always, if I do this, then will God love me? Or how about the third one, uh, the deterministic micromanager? And, And this view of God comes out in sentences like, well, I just need to find God's will. And so so we're just constant anxiety of all—it's God's will. Is it God's will, Chevy or Ford? Is it God's will? Should we get the house? Should we not get the house? We're going to move. Should I get the job? Is it God's will? Is it God's will? Is it God's will? Because we think that if we miss that one decision of God's will, our life is going to be a catastrophe, spinning out of control, right? And I always like to sort of describe um, God's will being like, you know, like whenever your mom or your grandma would would hand you like a plate of freshly baked cookies, right? Uh, yes and amen right yeah Um, what's the right cookie what's the right cookie um answer any of them any of them and listen god's will is found in his word choose anything out of the word it's good our father's good or the last one the doting grandfather Oh, the grandkids can do no wrong, right? And so your image of God is, man, God's cool, man. I'm into a New Testament God, okay? I'm all about the grace, man, right? And this is all good. And God, it's just grace. And this, that, and Jason's sin. Good Lord. Repentance? That's a dirty word, man. That's all Old Testament. And pfft, okay? Okay. Um, What do you think God's idea, how seriously God thinks of sin? Well, um, look at the blood-stained cross. And what was Jesus' first sermon? Um, Repent, right? Listen, all of these are wrong images of God. We get our image of God from Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, God is like Jesus. That's why it's all about Jesus, so, so, so what are the applications to our life? Well, the first thing is this. The privilege to call God Father was paid for by His Son, Jesus. Listen, the gospel is this, is that God created everything perfect, right, and good. The first couple of chapters of Genesis, those are awesome. Those are awesome, right? It was good, it's good, it's good, it makes man in his own image and likeness. And then sin enters the world and it fractures everything. And the Bible says that in our natural state, we are not lovers of God. That in our natural state, we would rather be God than worship God. We do not want to give God glory. We want that glory. And that is seen in our calendars, in our bank statements, in our relationships, that God can have a part but he better not have a hole. That's that thing that's hard for us. That's why it's good news because there's a bad thing about that. But Jesus comes along and grants us access to this father. God is a loving father pursuing his children constantly in the scriptures, all the way from Genesis chapter three through the rest of the Bible. Do you know what God's response to Adam and Eve's sin was? I knew you were gonna do that, and I can't believe no. Adam, where are you? A father searching for a prodigal child. That's the image of God. The second thing is this, grace and peace are gifts from the Father. Look at what it says. The Apostle Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Why is it important to know that? Listen, you're not going down to Casey's getting gas, air in your tire, and some grace and peace. Okay? Okay? These are supernatural things that come from God. And many of us are saying, man, why can't I give grace in this relationship? Because you need to understand where you get grace for the relationship. It doesn't come from us, that it comes from God. And what is grace? Grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. That's what grace is. These th- and listen, the whole world's looking for this right now. Peace? Hello? The whole world is searching for this. And maybe it's, you know, the whole world has the idea that it's this administration and this. And it's so funny that the whole world thinks that peace will always come through some sort of ironclad enforcement. And just survey, um, how's that going? Not well. The whole world's searching for peace. So how does this play out in the relationship with the Father? Grace is the basis of the relationship, and peace is the Father's presence In the relationship. Grace is the basis. You see, some of us think, um, if I obey, then I will be accepted. And we say this all the time. Guys, listen, I have like one message. I say it in like a number of different ways, but it's pretty much the same message every single Sunday. And it's this. We don't obey so we can be accepted. We are accepted because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Therefore, now we are free to obey. This is good news. And do you know what comes with that? Peace. Peace is the Father's presence in the relationship. Listen, your expectations determine your experience. How do you view God? Because the Apostle Paul says, listen, you got to understand the rest of the letter. What we're studying, you've got to know God as Father. Which then leads us to the second relationship, and it's this. Our relationship to ourselves. saints. (laughs) saints. <laughs> I know you were like, um, preacher, if you're going to ask a word for me to describe myself, um, saint was not going to make it in the top 100 of the words. Okay. But look at what the apostle Paul says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. We have no idea how shocking that statement even is. Um, the word saint there is the word hagios. It's, it's the Old Testament version of what God called Israel. Um, it means a, a chosen, separated people, a holy people. Holy means separated. Don't go stained glass on me, okay? Don't go stained glass on me right now. Think holy, separated, distinct, all right? And he's writing this to people that we're going to see later on who were doing some pretty crazy things. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Do you know about the church in Corinth? They're like Christians gone wild. I mean, it's nuts. And then the first thing he says to them is, um, to the saints in Corinth. I mean, this is shocking, okay? So here's what I want to do for dramatic effect. I'm going to say, to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae. And when I say to the saints, I want you to gasp, okay? God forbid we have fun in church during the sermon, okay? All right, so here we go. Ready? Here we go. To the saints... Right? And faithful brothers in Christ at what? To the saints? Do you know, like, what I've done? Who I, the, I mean, do you know about, like, this, this to the saints? But yet, this is what the Apostle Paul says it's important to learn about, listen, ourselves. Ourselves. I believe so many Christians are bound in chains when it comes to the view of themselves. Now listen, we started with God first. You don't start with yourself. Um, That's what the world does. The world starts, listen, in order to find your identity, and and listen, this is the bridge the gap. We don't fight for our identity, we fight from it. Because that's why the largest section in a bookstore is a self-help section. And every year there's new self-help books, which which I'm always like, did last year's self-help book not work? Like, do we need seven more things to do this year? Like, something in the self-help section is not working. And, and listen, the idea of in order to find your identity, you need to know the spark in you, and pff, that does, that's not how it works. You start with God first, and then we know who we are in light of who God is. So, listen, this changes everything. This is what we see all through the letter, the Apostle Paul saying, hey, no, 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 no. Don't act that way. Don't do that. Why are you gossiping, slandering, lying, and cheating, and sleeping with someone that's not your spouse? Don't do that. That's not who you are. Remember who you are. Now, bridge the application to your life. Why every day do we say we need to wake up, we need to get in God's Word, that we need to pray? Why? Because all of those things remind us of who we really are. Because the world from the moment you wake up is beating you down with an identity that you should be every second. And I've got like 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday, 50 if I'm angry to tell you that's not who you are. That this is who you are. We don't fight for it, we fight from it. The second one is this. What we believe determines how we behave. I say this all the time. That if you believe and understand by faith what Jesus has done for you, then that will affect how you live your life. But if you believe that God is a demanding judge or this, that, and the other, then you, listen, you will inject anxiety into all of your relationships because your expectation determines your experience. So now, um, why didn't they text me back? Because I thought we were going to do that. And, well, I drove by Los Moss, and their cars were there and they didn't ask me to go and does nobody love me? And I knew it. I should have never, because what you believe determines how you behave. And listen, if it's always about you, it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. But rather, what we believe about God as Father, what we believe about ourselves as saints, that affects how you live. And then the last thing is this. Being a Christian is about progress, not perfection. That's the idea of a saint. The the saint is not about purity, though that is true, and we should be striving for that in our lives. And by the way, that's not legalism okay? Um, Obedience is not legalism. Somewhere the church along the line, when it was like, repent, don't mess with this stuff, or that, like, that's legalism. No, that's just God as a loving Father saying, "Um, don't mess with that stuff. That will hurt you. Listen, when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. So, hey, this idea of marriage, or this, how you should handle your money, or this, or that, when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. And it's not about this idea of being perfect. It's about progress. That's why I love that line. Did you pick up on the song Day by Day? Because God's making us new day by day. Listen, um, I know this. I walk in deep insecurities in my life. Deep insecurities. My wife, probably the only person who knows how insecure I am. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. But Praise God, I'm not who I was yesterday. And that's it. It's the day-to-day grind. I'm not fully, that's what insecurity is. Insecurity is the gap who, uh, in between I know what I'm supposed to be, but who I really am. And there's a gap there. That's insecurity. But it's, it's not about purity and perfection. It's about progress. And the line in the song says, a stumbling saint. Oh, I love that line. A stumbling saint. Are you going to fall? Yes. Are you going to struggle? Yes. I love what Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, he had a phrase called simul s justus s predicus. It means simultaneously a sinner and a saint. That God views me in Christ for those who have repented of their sins, confessed of their sins, and asked for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that God declares them as right positionally. But practically every day it's a fight and it is a battle. So I'm stumbling, but I'm stumbling forward. Hey, listen, just a, just a question. Are you progressing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for progression. And then this, how do you view yourself? Because some of you got up today, and, and maybe there's times I just feel like maybe some of us in the room maybe avoid a mirror because you don't, the divorce, the addi- it just every time you look in, you just it's shame and it's guilt, and I can't. Listen, I come bearing good news today that that does not define you. But what Jesus Christ has done is what defines us. The, listen, the expectation that you have of yourself will determine the experience. The third um, relationship that I see is this. But before that, check out this quote. I love this about a saint. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. That's fantastic had the privilege, Pastor Tyler and I, to do um, a funeral for a church member and a dear, sweet family. And one of the sons just said, you know, man, my my mom literally by definition was a saint. Was a saint. What was he saying? My mom's life, when I looked at it, made it easier for me to believe in God. I love that definition. And so question, um, is your life make it easier for someone to believe in God? And I don't mean Perfection. Because do you know what it can be for someone to believe in God? For you to have a cup of coffee with somebody and to say, hey, I've really blown it in this relationship. And I've said some things about you when you weren't around to other people that I need to ask your forgiveness of. That's a saint. That's a saint. Not perfection. We have to be asking ourselves, when people look at my life, does it point to God? And then the third relationship that I see is this our relationship to each other, the church, family. Look at the uh, terminology that he uses to the saints, we've just dealt with that, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And then the way that he introduces Timothy, he says, Timothy, our brother. This is familia language. This is the number one description of the church um, in the Bible a family, our father who art in heaven. And, and, and listen, do, do you know why this is so important? It's because there's a lie that's crept into the church. And it pops out in phrases like this. And, and what's so important is part of it's true, but it's not the whole thing. And it comes out in these phrases. Well, I have my own personal, private relationship with the Lord, Pastor. Every time I hear that, do you know what I hear? I don't go to church, I don't give, and I don't serve. I'm sorry. I just—it's—I—I I just deliver it. I don't mess with the mail. Okay, right? And so what we say is, well, that's between me and the Lord, Pastor. Okay. Um, well, you're wrong. Love you. Love you. Okay. But there's a problem in the New Testament. Um, we see the phrase "Our Lord" corporately used 53 times in the New Testament. Our Father. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, 53 times. In Paul's letters, he uses it 53 times, Our Lord. Do you know how many times My Lord is used? Once. Long before George Harrison ever sang, My sweet Lord, one time, My Lord. I mean, listen, guys, this is a big deal. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that this Christian life and this thing cannot be lived in isolation. And I get it. I know what you're saying. But, Jason, the problem is people. I get it. You know what the problem with Westside is? People. That's the problem. You know what the problem with the world is? People, man. You know what the problem in my life is? People, right? But listen, people are the point. So we've got our expectations determine our experience. And the New Testament knows nothing of isolated Christianity. But rather, people living life together. That is what the church is. So what's the application? Well, the church is not a place or a performance, but rather a people gathered by God. And listen, it's been tough, just to be honest with you, to be your pastor, um, to be pastoring people in this political climate over these past couple of years. I'll just be full cards on the table, okay? Because I have one conversation on Sunday over here, and I'm like, okay, okay. And then I'll go over here and have this conversation, and I'm like, oh, God, I hope you two guys don't ever meet each other, because this is a different conversation over here, you know? And then then they're all expecting me to agree. They're like, right, pastor, right, pastor, right? And I'm like, I got to go pee, man. I'm sorry. I got to get out of this conversation. You know, it's just like, oh, my goodness. It's like all this stuff right? And listen, it's, the church is not a place, all right? The church is not a place. The church is not a performance. It is the people of God. It is people. That is the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, ecclesia, the called out people who have been gathered by God. And these are different people. Listen, west side, listen, I thought in the beginning when you casted a vision of diversity, like, hey, we want people from different backgrounds, different political views and all that, that everybody would go, that sounds like a great idea. I would love to be a part of that. Newsflash, a lot of people don't want to do that. I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea people didn't want to love people who were different than them, right? But you know what the common connection is? Jesus. Jesus gathers us. I mean, read through the list of the disciples, you have Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. Do you know how different that is? That's like, um, um, you know, one guy voted for Hillary and this guy's trying to make America great again. I mean, that's literally how different that is, but they're all following Jesus. And we were just watching um, a, a film together as a family, and, and maybe you've seen this, the, the Greatest Showman, right? So if you have any theater background, you're like nerding out right now. You're like, yeah, this is great. But it's, it's kind of a, a musical, kind of portraying off P.T. Barnum. Um, but it's about all of these misfits, there's, you know, these people that, that no other circuses, that society didn't want, and he gathers them together. And there's this scene where they all walk into this, like, highfalutin dinner, and it's, like, perfect, and it's tuxedos. And people that are there at that dinner literally turn their back on these people whenever they walk in. And there's, it's just this sad, heartbreaking scene. And when I saw it, I just felt like the Spirit of the Lord say, Jason, that's the church in the world. It's all these different people. It's, it's the outcasts of society. And the world will always turn its back. But the church is a people. The second thing is this. In God's family, when someone fails, we never bail. Look at what it says. To the saints and faithful brothers... Faithful brothers, it's the only time in Paul's letters out of 13-ish in the New Testament that he adds the word faithful to that. It means unrelenting and not stopping consistently. It's described of God's love for Israel in the Old Testament. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that there are people that are going to sin and stumble, a part of the church family. But do you know what the church doesn't do? The church does not bail. And listen, man, I am exhausted and weary to my bones in a society whenever there's an inkling of conflict and one little thing bad happens, and what we do is we quit, we pull away, do a quick Facebook status about it, have a bunch of people comment and agree and go, yeah, you get them, and then live in isolation. Listen, that will not win over an unbelieving world. But what will win over an unbelieving world is no greater love than this, than a man. Lay down his life for his friends and this is how the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Christians, stick it out. And we grind it out and sometimes a loving thing is a confrontational conversation that's bathed in grace and peace. But listen, we don't start and then bail. Please listen to me. The most difficult thing, the most difficult thing you could ever do with your life is to commit yourself to a local church. Listen, I'm not selling anything. If it's West Side, great. Love you. We are not a perfect church. Good Lord, we are not a perfect church. We're going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. And we're going to hurt each other. And we're going to go to Jesus hurting together. And we're going to love each other. We are not a perfect church. I believe we're a good church. But listen, I believe the, the most difficult thing you can do in your life is to commit yourself to a local church for life. And do you know what I believe will be the most rewarding thing for your life? committing yourself to a local church for the rest of your life man when i see in the new testament that sort of family that's what will win over a world our expectations determine our experience and the apostle paul saying before we get into anything else we need to gauge these relationships and lay them out and the last one is this our relationship to the world in christ Um, If if you're following along in the devotional, this actually came up this week. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Did you pick up on it? It's weird, right? You're like, well, I thought I was in Christ. Well, you you are. But you were like, I'm at Colossae. Well, you are. Oh, Paul, so what you're saying is I'm two places at once. Exactly. Exactly, right? Actually, in the original language, it says in Christ in Colossae, right? You're like, what in the world? Well, listen, these were real people living in a real place. And when the Apostle Paul says at Colossae, he's saying, listen, you're under the Roman government. There's all of this going on, but ultimately, ultimately, you are in Christ. Do you know what that means? That means for those, um, if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. That's good news, amen? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you would confess with your mouth with a broken heart and believe that Jesus is Lord, that God will save you. And then the Bible says that at that moment, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, for the old is gone and the new has come. That when God looks at you, Colossians chapter 3 would say that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see the divorce, the addiction, whatever thing you think defines you, but he sees Christ. So now, ever listen, this is what's so shocking. We forget this in the life of Christianity. We think that Christianity is forgiveness and just that. Listen, that's just the starting point, bro. That's just the starting point. It's not just forgiveness, it's reward. That now you get the same thing that the son had. That now you have the same standing before the Father that Jesus Christ had. You say, Jason, why is that important? Because then when I see Jesus' baptism and the heavens ripped open and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him like a dove and a voice cried out saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God says that about you. This is the good news. This is what will change your life. And so, what does this mean for us? It, it means this: Christians are dual citizens, with an ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ. Um, there's a little bit of tension here, and I can't solve it, and I don't want to solve it. And here's what I mean by that: You're dual citizens. Um, anybody feeling the struggle? The struggle is real right now, okay? Because you're like, man, this is, oh, there's a lot going on here. And then, you know, the Bible's like, submit to governing authorities. And um, I thought it was easier with this one. And I don't know about this one. And this, that. And there's a lot of struggle going on. And listen, if you feel the tension as a believer of Jesus Christ of being a dual citizen, good for you. Good for you. Bless you. Keep going at it. And here's else what I mean. If you fit nice and neat and perfectly into a political party, then you don't fit nice and neat into the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean by that. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And we are not defined by a donkey or an elephant. We are defined by the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I am weary to my bones about things that have crept into the church of Jesus Christ. But where is the church that speaks truth to power, but at the same time is loving and compassionate? Listen, this tension will not be solved. It will not be solved. And I believe those who are the faithful brethren. Listen, salvation happens in a moment, but is proven in a lifetime. So I'm down with it, you know, just as I am, and I said this prayer for fire insurance, and now I think I'm in, and this, that. Do you know what I believe is happening right now? A great sifting, I believe, is happening, happening. And those who remain faithful in the tension, with our Bibles in our hands and on our knees, not praying for our own agenda, but praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we will not be ruled by fear, We don't believe the propaganda of fear, but our God is truth, and that is what we live. This tension will not be solved, but this is what it means to live in the world and to be in Christ. And then the last thing is this, your current location and situation is not your final destination. That's good news. That's a word for somebody today. That's why you came to church today. Because you were like, Jason, this situation, I, it's defining everything. I've got all of this going. Listen, here's what I'm saying To be in Christ means that your situation and all of that does not define you. In closing, I love these words from Pastor Sam Storms. Please listen to this. This is so good. No matter where you are geographically and physically, what you are spiritually will never change. You may be at work, at play, overseas, under the weather, out of money, but you are always unchangeably in Christ. You may be down in the dumps, over the hill, beside yourself, but you're always unchangeably in Christ. You may be at paradise or in prison, at the movies or in Chicago, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. Your geographical, earthly, physical location has no effect on your spiritual identity. That means tomorrow at work, you're at work, but you're in Christ. That means some of us go home to an unbelieving spouse and you are in that marriage, but you are in Christ. Listen, your expectation of how you live in this world will determine your experience. So in closing, we have to ask ourselves, when we look at the list of this relationship, all of these relationships affect every one of us in here. I want you to ask yourself, where am I having wrong expectations? And listen, I think that's where you'll find the frustration of the experience. You'll go, oh, the problem is as I enter into every relationship thinking that it's about me because of the thing that I thought defined me and I'm constantly trying to earn people's love. Or the reason why that I find the bitterness and I haven't gotten in church or I don't crack my Bible is because I don't have a view of God as Father. I have a view of God as this. Listen, our expectations determine our experience and I believe that as we continue in this journey, God's Word will mold us and shape us to live rightly by viewing these relationships correctly. So here's what I want to do. I want us to stand where we're at and close in a time of prayer together. And if some of us are honest with ourselves, we need a moment to go, God, I've been viewing this wrongly. And listen, as we sing this next song, maybe you just lay that down. Maybe you go, God, when I walked in here today, I had this expectation. That's why this experience was happening. And I repent today. I change my way of thinking. And I want us to pray together how Jesus taught us to pray in that language. Our Father to know the Father heart of God. So Westside, lift your voice and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we come before You today asking for Your Holy Spirit to comfort many of us. God, we feel the tension. God, there are men and women in here today. There are mothers. There are fathers who feel the tension of being in Christ, but at Colossae. Of being in Christ, but at this world. God, I pray that You would continually bless them and that there would be a peace in that home and that that fear would be vanished from them and that they would keep pressing in God I pray for the men and women in this room that when you said describe yourself in one word how does God look at you oh my there would be so many words and saint wouldn't be one of them God I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that for the first time we would see ourselves how you see us And then, God, the church constantly needs correcting of our image of You. May we get back to knowing God is our loving Father. And we are Your beloved children. Holy Spirit, comfort us, convict us, challenge us, and compel us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.